0: If you haven't opened your Bibles or Bible apps, please do so to Matthew 6. Uh, we are, as uh, Paul mentioned earlier, in a series on uh, the Lord's Prayer. And we're kind of walking through this prayer uh, kind of phrase by phrase, considering how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And it has been said that Christianity is not partisan, but it is political. Christianity is not associated, it cannot be contained in one specific political party, but Christianity does make political claims. There is a king and there is a kingdom. Now, I promise that this series on prayer didn't just all of a sudden become a series on politics and culture, and we're still talking about prayer. But here is something that we need to acknowledge and be honest about, Living as a human in human society means that we have a political and cultural existence. Living with other people means that we live under systems and structures such as governments. We have ordered our society with laws and regulations. There are rulers and authorities over us. So our lives are political. It's inescapable in that way. We also order and build our society around what we believe is true and good and beautiful, and this affects the way that we see ourselves and our world. It affects our sense of right and wrong. It affects our sense of meaning and purpose and identity. It impacts how we prioritize our time and our resources and our money, how we live as those in family and in relationships, and those as we work and how we express our sexuality. We live as part of a culture. And so things like truth and goodness and right and wrong and just or unjust, order and disorder, power used, power abused, these kinds of things matter to us because we recognize when they go sideways, so much damage is done. So much pain is done. And so, as I often do in an introduction in my sermon, let me ask a question. As one who lives a political and cultural life, as one who is a part of a political and cultural order, what is shaping how you engage that world? What's shaping your heart as you live as one part of a political structure and part of a cultural structure? What words, what voices most shape you? What leaders, what kingdom do you give allegiance to? Now, let me, let me lay it on thick here for just a second. <laughs> if I were to peer into your day, or if you were to peer into my day, because I am very much put myself in this moment here, If we were to compare how much time we spend on social media reading about politics and culture and mulling that over versus how much we are praying, what would that balance look like? Told you, guilt trip right out of the gun. Here we go. How would, what what would that look like? When you consider how much time you give to considering and reading and, and getting involved in cultural and political debates and, and consuming information versus how much time you're communing with the Lord and praying your kingdom come. I bet if we were honest, much like we talked about a couple weeks ago, we'd probably go, thank you for pointing out that I'm a failure, <laughs> we would recognize that we, we spend far much more time being shaped by these things over here in our world rather than being shaped by prayer. And, and what's the consequence? Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you in the sense of just trying to make you feel bad. I want us to all reflect here for a second and consider, what's the consequence of that? What's the fruit of all of that time spent? What, what has shaped our hearts What what, what do we, how how have we begin to view ourselves in our world? And we can just start to look what do we give our time and our energy to? What most grabs our emotions? How are we giving, giving, uh, how are we serving, or how how are we considering who we are in this world? How you work, how you spend your money, how you give your time, how you build relationships, like all of those details of your life. In that, you're going to see what's been shaping you. And then when you think about the politics and the culture that we live in and how we respond to that and what comes out of us, oh, we have been shaped far too often by our world and by the political orders and political kingdoms of men and our own kingdoms. How often do our lives take on the contours of the kingdom of self where we live for ourselves? We determine what we are going to do. We're going to determine how we spend our time and what our energy and our resources and and the relationships we're going to be in and how we express things like our sexuality and our identity, how much of that can be built on a kingdom of self. And what does that show? It shows that we've been shaped by this world and not by the Lord's Prayer. Friends, the, the Lord's Prayer sets its sights on all of these concerns, Friends, Christian prayer is not a retreat from the world spirituality, but a spirituality very much lived on this earth. It's embodied in our daily lives. Christian prayer takes up the cause of truth and right and wrong and freedom and oppression and just and unjust, order and disorder, power used, power abused, because Christianity is a faith that is lived in this world. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done On earth as it is in heaven. It's not God, get me out of this earth so I can escape. It's no God, bring your kingdom to this earth, to where we live, to where we are embodied. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And also, friends, understand this Christianity isn't fire insurance. It's not a magic mantra, you pray so you, don't, you can go to heaven when you die because everybody wants to go there when they die, right? It's not just sort of this manipulative transaction with God. No, Christianity is about following a risen king. Jesus is Savior, yes, but he's also Lord. And you do not know him as Savior if you don't also know him as Lord. There's no splitting of that. Friends, Christianity Speaks of a king in a kingdom. And to be part of the people of God means to belong to a kingdom under the rule and reign of a king. And so we pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. And so as we consider our lives in light of the Lord's Prayer, It's so easy to see how we allow politics and culture of our world to shape our hearts. It's so easy to get caught up and put hope in self-made kingdoms or the, the kingdoms of this earth. It's so easy to fall into that. And so we need Jesus to come and teach us and reorient our hearts. We need him to speak into that and say, let me teach you how to pray so that your heart will be oriented to something far greater than self and the kingdoms of this world, but the kingdom of God. And so this morning, my hope and my prayer by God's word and the spirit, we would be reoriented. Our hearts would be turned away from self and putting our hope in the kingdom of men and oriented to the kingdom of God. And here's what Jesus teaches us. Here's what the Lord's Prayer teaches us this morning, that when we turn aside from allegiance to and hope in earthly kingdoms, and we begin to pray this, we pray for God's kingly rule to transform us in our world. That's the main point for us this morning, is that in our prayer life, part of our prayer life is we pray for God's kingly rule to transform us in our world. Now, to better understand what the Lord's Prayer instructs us to pray for, we need to consider a little bit this concept of the kingdom of God. We need to try to get inside this. What, what is the kingdom of God? Now, admittedly, we're going to do some snorkeling here. Okay? We're not going to go deep sea scuba diving. Okay? When you snorkel, you, you kind of go under the surface a little bit, and, and, yeah, you see what's under there. You see some beauty. You see some of the contours of the ocean but it's not a deep dive into the deeps and the mysteries and the complexities. We unfortunately don't have that much time to get into all of these contours and mysteries and depths of the kingdom of God. So we got to do a little snorkeling. But as with snorkeling, it's a rewarding experience. You see some beauty, you see some of the contours, you see some of the shape of this thing. And I believe that we'll be able to see enough that it's going to orient our hearts to the kingdom of God. And so, The kingdom of God simply stated, if you're asked, what is the kingdom of God? Simply stated, it is God's righteous rule and reign. It's the righteous rule and reign of God. The kingdom of God is where his authority, his goodness, his truth, his beauty have control. In the kingdom... It is a kingdom where righteousness and justice reign, where holiness and wholeness are experienced, where peace, love, and unity define its people. And these things describe the kingdom of God because it describes its king. Our king is a king of righteousness, a king of holiness and wholeness, a king of peace and love and unity. This is the king that we follow, and it defines his kingdom. Now, as God is spirit... The kingdom of God is primarily a spiritual reality. It transcends our physical world. It cannot be contained in just our world or contained in just a political system or a country. No, it is spiritual, and so it transcends It is also not limited, meaning that it is an eternal kingdom. As we read in our call to worship this morning in Psalm 145, it says God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It existed in eternity past, and it will exist for all eternity to come. But make no mistakes. Make no mistake, friends, that God's kingdom is primarily a spiritual reality doesn't mean it's this thing way over here detached from our reality. It transcends our reality but it also exists within our reality. As we learn in Genesis 1 and 2, the story of Genesis 1 and 2 is the story of God creating our world and establishing his kingdom upon it. As Psalm 24, 1 states, the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. He is the ruler. He is the king over all things. And when he created this world... The beautiful truth is that this world and God's kingdom were in sync. In perfect harmony, in sync, everything that was created came under and submitted itself to his righteousness and his rule. It existed in perfect beauty and harmony and unity. Everything reflected this glory and this goodness because it was in sync with the kingdom of God. And here's also where we see how the kingdom of God was established on this earth. You and I, Men and women, made in the image of God. We, we talk about what that means sort of as, as kind of a metaphysical thing, like how our identity is established. But it also speaks to how God exercises his kingly rule on the earth. You see, in the ancient world, kings would create images, whether statues or imprint them on buildings or print them on money. And those images would be spread all out throughout the kingdom, and you would know which king ruled over the kingdom by the images. And so for us to be made in the image of God, God put his image, his kingly stamp on this world. And so when we were called to be fruitful and multiply, what did that mean? Go spread the kingly rule and reign of God over all things. It's a beautiful reality to consider. Your maleness, your femaleness was meant to display and to celebrate and declare the kingship of God. However, as Genesis 3 also tells us. With the fall of Adam and Eve and sin entering into our world, humanity and the rest of creation are now out of sync with the kingdom of God. God is still ruler, make no mistake. God is still king. He is still sovereign over all that is. So the problem is not that The kingdom of God has been defeated and it's retreated into the background. No, the problem is is that you and I and the rest of the world are now out of sync with the kingdom of God. We've rebelled. We have become traitors. We have turned from the kingdom of God and we've joined the kingdom of darkness. We've run to evil. We have run to oppression and injustice and immorality. We have gone on wrecking and ruining ourselves and others in our world. We also see, because of our sin, this world is now cursed with sickness and disease and death. These things do not belong and are not a part of the kingdom of God. They're part of the kingdom of darkness. But this is our reality now. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, this world and us, were naturally out of step, out of sync with the kingdom of God. And really, friends, we only need to spend about 30 seconds doom-scrolling to realize this is the case. So much sin, so much oppression, so much selfishness and injustice, so much me and immorality and people building their own kingdoms. But if we're even more honest, we we don't need to doom scroll to see this. We just need to look in our own hearts. We need to just look at the nature of our own relationships and the ways that we tend to live our lives I mean, consider how much time, how much we give our time and money to things that we care about. How much time we spend justifying our behavior to kind of push back in the corner we know we're all about ourselves. How much time do we spend building a kingdom of self? How much do we try to define meaning and purpose and identity so that it fits with our wants, our needs, our desires. And so friends, there is a significant problem, a problem that it's hard to really even put into words when we consider that there is a kingdom of God, a kingdom of righteousness and goodness and truth and beauty, and there's a kingdom of darkness, of sin, of wickedness and oppression, and these two things are at odds with one another. And in our natural state, we're over here. We've joined the kingdom of darkness willingly. We've gone whole hog, head first, into the kingdom of darkness. But here's the good news. In light of that, the good news of the gospel is that the kingdom of God has not been defeated. It has not, been, it has not retreated into the corner. It's not disappeared. And God's not sitting back and just going, well, you made your bed lie in it. no. The good news of the gospel is that the kingdom of God is advancing. (laughs) The good news of the gospel is God did not leave us to the kingdom of darkness, but rather his kingdom has broken in to the darkness. His kingdom has entered into the places of evil and wickedness and sin and death and disease. His kingdom has come into this world to transform it. We we pray that God's kingly rule will transform us in our world. And this is the good news of the gospel. The story of redemption is the story of a kingdom advancing in the darkness. Listen to how the gospel writers speak of the message and ministry of Jesus. Matthew 4:17 when the ministry of Jesus is introduced by Matthew, he says this, from then on Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come. What was the message of Jesus? The kingdom of heaven has come. The kingdom of God is here. And then Mark 1, 14 and 15 introduces Jesus' ministry this way. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Notice there twice, good news. That's the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. And what is the gospel? The kingdom of God has come. That is the good news. A kingdom of righteousness and goodness and justice has come. That is the gospel. And then in Luke 4, Jesus' ministry isn't introduced by him directly saying, um, talking about the kingdom, but what we read in Luke 4, this is what happened. Jesus goes to the synagogue, and he reads this passage from Isaiah that talks about the kingdom coming, reads it, closes it, sits down, and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus' ministry and his message was a message of the kingdom. And here's why this was good news for the people at the time. Because at the time, the people were waiting for a kingdom. they have been waiting for a kingdom for a long, long time. The people of God had a long history of experiencing oppressive rulers, whether it was Egypt or Assyria or Babylon, or even their own rulers. So they knew oppression. They knew the wickedness of the kingdoms of men but they're also very familiar with the tyranny of their own sin and the destruction that brought in their own life. That They were familiar with the wreckage of disease and death, and so they were crying out for a kingdom. God, how long until you bring the kingdom? How long until you throw off these oppressive rulers? God, how long until you set us free from sin? God, how long must we live in the shadow of death Won't your kingdom come? Won't your kingdom come? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he declares the kingdom of God has come. This was the greatest news in the world for the people of Israel. Jesus was saying that kingdom you've been waiting for, that kingdom you've been longing for, that kingdom has come. That kingdom has come. However, that kingdom came in a way they weren't expecting. You see, they were expecting a political rule and reign. They wanted to see the tyranny of Rome thrown off and the kingdom of Israel reestablished. They wanted political power. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is going to come differently than what you expect. In both Matthew 13 and Luke 13, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and leaven. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed, but it's very small, almost hard to see, almost imperceptible. And leaven, that's just small bits of yeast. Again, very small, very tiny, very insignificant. And yet Jesus said, this is how the kingdom of God has come. You see, the people of Israel and the rulers, they wanted political power. They wanted a show of force. Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come in a different way. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, as Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he says this, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you will see the kingdom of God is in your midst. If you're looking for the kingdom of God over here in this political leader, you won't find it there. If you're looking for the kingdom of God over in this political system, you won't find it there. If you're looking for a show of force and power, you'll see force and power, but not where you think you're going to see it. See, the kingdom of God has come, but not in the way that you and I would expect or you and I would choose, because what we would want is the kingdom of God to become our own kingdom. We want the kingdom of God to get behind our agenda and our power. And yet Jesus says the kingdom of God comes in an unexpected way to subvert our expectations in order to humble us. But friends, make no mistake that the kingdom comes in these small, small, invisible, imperceptible ways doesn't mean that the kingdom of God has no power. No, the kingdom of God has tremendous power. As Jesus continues in those parables, the mustard seed is small and imperceptible but grows to be a surprisingly strong and tall tree. Leaven, while it is small and gets buried into the flower, can catalyze tons and tons and tons of loaves of bread. You see, there is a power in that small, imperceptible kingdom seed. And when it gives birth to power, transformation happens. There's tremendous power in the kingdom of God. And that was what the ministry of Jesus was all about, putting the kingdom of God in display. In Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says this, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus said, you want to know, we want to see the power of the spirit of God? Watch me cast out demons. Watch me heal the sick. Watch me raise the dead. Watch me proclaim liberty and set people free from sin. Watch me break the monopoly of the religious leaders and their stranglehold over people. Watch me set people free from sin and death and disease and darkness. That's where the kingdom of God is going to come and display its power. It's going to transform people from the inside out. The kingdom of God has come in power, friends, but it's a power that you and I so likely and so quickly gloss over. You see, we think the solution to our problems is more power. Like, give me more money, give me more stability, give me more cultural and political power, my problems will be okay. I'll be able to overcome them. But the kingdom of God goes deeper. It goes to the root. It goes to the heart of things. Sin, rebellion, darkness, death. And it takes the battle there. That's where it takes the war. That's where it takes the battle. That's where its power is declared. And so Jesus puts on the power of the kingdom as he goes and casts out demons and heals the sick and forgives and undoes unjust religious authority. Friends, that's not, but in those things, that's also not the greatest display of the kingdom of God, the greatest display of the kingdom's power. As unexpected as those things may be, The way the kingdom of God put its power most on display is the most unexpected way of all. When we think of the power of a kingdom, we think of the might of the U.S. military or the might of the U.S. economic system. The might of the kingdom of God was put on display on a cross. When Jesus was strung up on an instrument of torture and death, what Rome used to instill terror into people and to put down rebellion, God used to put the greatest display of the kingdom's power. Because on the de- in Christ's death, sin was defeated. As Colossians tells us on the cross, every evil and wicked ruler and authority was put to open shame. They, they, they took their best shot on Jesus and Jesus defeated them. On the cross, evil was defeated. And then in his resurrection, what was defeated? Death, disease, sickness, all that attacks you and, you and I and our bodies. Christ defeated every evil, every wickedness, every sin, every disease, every death. That's the power of the kingdom of God. And the beauty is, is that Jesus Christ now, resurrected and reigning, he rules over his kingdom and he rules over his world. How does he do that? Through his word and through his spirit. Like every good king, he rules through his word and he rules through his presence. And so friends, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is on the throne and sin and evil and death have been defeated. This is the good news of the gospel. It's a message of the kingdom. And how are we to respond? How are we to respond to this message? Well, what did Jesus say? In fact, in the, the reality of the kingdom of God is present, What does that mean? Does it mean go join ex political party? No. Does it mean go follow after ex political leader? No. That the kingdom of God is at hand, what did Jesus say? Repent. Repent and believe. He said, turn from the kingdoms that you are following, the kingdom of self, the kingdom of men, stop putting your hope in those things, turn from sin and turn to the kingdom of God, turn to me. Bring your life under my rule and reign. Come be a part of my kingdom of righteousness and goodness and truth and beauty. You see, friends, to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, means that you no longer live for the kingdom of self and the kingdom of men, but you now live for the kingdom of God. And the good news of the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done when he saved you is he actually transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. This is what Colossians 1.13 says. God, meaning God, he, meaning God, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Friends, the good news of the gospel is if you are in Christ, you're no longer the traitor, the enemy. You are now a citizen You're a son, you're a daughter. You're no longer living in darkness at the mercy of sin, at the mercy of evil, at the mercy of of wickedness, at the mercy of death. No, you've been transferred into the kingdom of of his beloved son, a kingdom of righteousness and life and victory. Friends, the good news of the gospel is a message of a kingdom, a kingdom that has come and is coming. And so in light of this fact the kingdom has come and is coming, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now here's something we also have to come to grips with, we have to wrestle with. The kingdom has come, but it also is coming, meaning it hasn't been fully realized, meaning we still deal with sin, we still deal with disease, and we still deal with death. Now those things have a shelf life, Christ has broken their power, and the clock is ticking, but we still have to deal with them. And this is why we pray, your kingdom come, because we want the kingdom of God to come and fully transform things. We recognize there's sin still in the world, but God, we need your kingdom to come to deal with that. We recognize there's evil and oppression still in the world, and so we need your kingdom to come to deal with that. We recognize there is still death and disease in this world, and so God, bring your kingdom to deal with that. So we're still crying out for the kingdom to come because it's not fully realized yet. Yes, its power is here, but there's still more coming. And so friends, church, when you and I pray this prayer, when you and I are calling out to God, remember as we talked about last week with all the urgency of a command, with all that longing that we we so want to see these things happen, it's almost as if we're commanding God. When we pray, your kingdom come. here, Here are the things that we are praying for and what it means. When you have that friend or family member you know that is far from Christ and doesn't know Christ, when you pray for their salvation, you're praying, God, your kingdom come in their life. Your will be done in their life. And so we pray for our friends and our family members, God, bring your kingdom into their life and save them. When we are praying for what is going on in our own lives, when we recognize the pain and and the struggle and the sin in our own lives, we are praying, God, your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life. In the midst of marriage conflict and pain, we pray, your kingdom come, God, your kingdom come here and bring redemption, bring healing, bring transformation in my marriage. We're talking about the struggles and pains of being a parent. You're saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my parenting, in my relationship with my kids, in the lives of my kids. Bring transformation, bring rescue, bring redemption. When we pray for struggles at work, saying, God, bring your kingdom into this part of my life. (laughs) When we think about the ways that we spend our money or our time, our energy, wherever it may be, we pray your kingdom come. We want God's kingdom. We want our life to be brought into alignment with God's kingdom. We want the kingdom of God and its power to come and bring transformation and renewal so that we may walk as those who are part of the kingdom. We pray your kingdom come. Your will be done. The same as when we see all of the pain, all of the evil, all the wickedness and oppression in our worlds. When we see the the pain and oppression that is inflicted on people because of wicked rulers. God, your kingdom come. Put an end to this oppression. God, your kingdom come. Put an end to this evil. Look, I don't know about you. And and I'm, look, we live in the United States and there is so much to be thankful for. But I am tired of living under corrupt leaders. I'm tired of living under leaders who would much rather have a soundbite and a photo op than actually care about what is right and just. But here's our hope, church our king is righteous and just. Our king is good. Our king is loving. Our king isn't interested in a photo op, in a sound bite. He laid down his life for his people. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we want that kingdom to come. We want that rule and reign to come. We want that king to come and renew and restore all things. And so we pray when we see the oppression, when we see the injustice, when we see the evil. And we could go down the list You're you're aware of these things. You know what's going on. Pick an issue. Pick a a problem. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And here's what we also need to do as we consider what it means to look for the kingdom. Again, what did Jesus tell us? It's not in the flash and the spectacular. It's in the ordinary. Like you want to see the kingdom of God at work? It's not in Washington. It's when you decide that rather than living for self, you're going to live for the kingdom. It's when you see somebody who has used their sexuality sinfully, now using it to glorify God. When there was marriage conflict and there was fighting, there was selfishness, and now there's reconciliation and love and service. That's where you see the kingdom of God. When you see people who were selfish with their money and their time, now just generous and giving away for the advancement of the kingdom. Like, friends, yes, we want to see the kingdom of God affect society. And yes, we at times see righteousness advance in society, but where the kingdom of God is growing and advancing is in the ordinary. And so I'd encourage you, look in the ordinary. And when you want to see the kingdom of God come in your life, start thinking about the ordinary. Start thinking about those places where your life isn't aligned with the kingdom right now. And they're typically small, they're typically mundane, but you need the kingdom there to transform. And this is why we pray, Your kingdom come. Because here's what happens when we pray. Here's what happens when we pray, Your kingdom come. We get transformed, God shapes our hearts. He conforms our hearts to the kingdom. And so now our priorities and our values and our ethics and our time and our money and our energy and our resources and the way we live our life winds up with the kingdom of God. The hopes that we have in life, the desires that we have, they're kingdom hopes and kingdom desires. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he transforms us and he shapes us and he also gives us hope in the midst of, of the painful journey that we're on. Like, look, let's be honest. It's hard. And God knows that. And God's given you a lot of language to express that pain and that difficulty. So feel free to do that. But when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, and your hope is shaped in the kingdom of God, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of the face of disease and death, we have hope. We have tremendous hope. We have hope. Why? Because one day the kingdom of God will come fully, transforming all things forever. What we pray, God will answer. <laughs> so he invites you to pray with this incredible amount of hope because he says, Hey, I'm going to answer that prayer. I am going to answer that prayer. My son is coming. I'm going to answer that prayer. Keep praying, keep being shaped in that hope. Keep being formed in that hope. Keep anchoring yourself in that hope. Allow your life to be shaped and live in the midst of that hope. So First City Church, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done because Jesus wants our lives, our entire lives, to be conformed to the kingdom, to be lived as citizens of the kingdom. And so in the midst of a politically and culturally crazy time. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow with our politics, both in our nation and in our world? Who knows the direction our culture is going to go? It could get worse and worse and worse, or maybe there's a little bit of a slowdown. Who knows? But here's what I know God has called us to, to not be shaped by social media and the media and the doom scrolling and the kingdoms of men and the political promises, Because what happens when we run there? Anger, despair, division, hatred, being shaped more as Republican and Democrat than Christian or libertarian for libertarian, whatever. But when we pray, Your kingdom come, yes, we're still involved. You should be involved. You should care. You should absolutely care. Be political but be political shaped by the kingdom. And so as we pray, we engage our world with kingdom values, kingdom eyes, kingdom sensitivities, kingdom character. Or with our culture, rather than being shaped by this expressive individualism that says the kingdom of self and self-identity and self-pleasure and living your own truth is the way to go. We pray your kingdom come. God, shape me. As a citizen of the kingdom, topple my kingdoms, topple my selfishness, topple my pride, topple all the ways that I am living, not for your kingdom, but for some other kingdom, and bring me into the conformity of the kingdom. Church, let us be a church that prays that, so that that is how we live in this world. Well, we are not here to retreat from the world, we're not here to hide in our cave, we're not here to run away and just wait it out until Jesus comes back. No, we are to go and preach the gospel and make disciples and live as part of this world and care. But to do that, we need to be praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And having every confidence and knowing that God's kingly rule has and will transform us and our world. Let's pray.